Welcome inside the world of Duotone, everybody. I'm Josie Ashley, and joining me today, I have Stuart Knowles for Himaya Sunscreen. Hey, Stuart, how's it going? It's good. How are you today? Very good. Just got home here in Tarifa, looking like there's a nice little bit of wind. Hopefully going to get out on the water soon. Sounds good to me. We uh, we just got a snow dump. I'm in Innsbruck, and... Um... I might get out this afternoon for a few last turns for the season. Yeah, season must be coming to an end. When does it end there? Because I think here in Spain, by middle of April, they close all the all the ski resorts down. Yeah, the major ones will close on the 24th of April, so places like St. Anton and things. And then we have about another 10 resorts which will stay open till probably mid-May. They're the, the, the higher ones, which are a bit sort of north-facing slopes and stuff like that. So, But there's, there's enough snow to see them through. It's not been the best season, but it's not been a bad season. Yeah, I think in the end, as long as, long as you can get out, it's all good. So, Stuart, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, well... As regards Duotone and things like that, I was actually the founder of Duotone Snowboards back in 95 when uh, I, I was wow. actually in that time working for Vision Streetwear doing their international sales and skate business. And F2 came to me and asked me to set them up a freestyle snowboard company. And uh, so actually I was the founder of Duotone Snowboards, which then ran for a good 10 years or so. That's a one hell of a start. I mean, so you getting involved in snowboards because one of the things that a lot of people don't know is the name Duotone actually comes from there because obviously the Boards and More group had was first with North and then we changed over to Duotone. It's funny to see that that name has so much history. Yes, I mean, it has over 10 years trading as a snowboard company. Um, we were in the freestyle and free ride section actually the sort of backcountry splitboarding was our main thing we were the first company to manufacture and deliver splitboards in the market mm-hmm. um way back in the day and um also making a thing called sandwich construction we were very innovative back in those days and stayed that way the whole time so and how do you feel about how the kind of the totem powers continue? Because I know one of the things with Duotone Kiteboarding especially is they are well behind R&D and trying to look for that next thing. Yeah, I think that's all good. They seem to be continuing our, our, our tradition of uh, we always wanted to launch at least one new technology per season. Um, so that always there's a new board range coming out, which is always a, a totally new technology in some way or format. Um, and Geotone seem to be continuing that. And I mean, I, I myself started my first kiteboarding I went was in 96 down in San Diego. I remember doing it when wow, there were basically two speeds to kite. No speed and full speed. <laughs> <laughs> no D-power, mate. No D-power. There were some very interesting accidents going on in those days. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I've been windsurfing since oh, 30 years. So, um, yeah, no, I think it's great. Um, I'm all for it. <laughs> I mean, I know you have a you have quite a diverse background. You you know, starting off, you spent a lot of time in Africa. Was that one of the reasons? Because you are at the the head of Himaya Sunscreen. Was it that one of the reasons to kind of get into that industry because of the background and the countries you kind of were brought up in? Not to get into the sunscreen for that particular reason, um, although it has influenced how our our eco policies or what I wanted to do with the sunscreen. Yes. I mean, I started Himea because actually, obviously, my winters were very, very busy. And when you're working a seasonal business, 
you tend to have six months where it's seven days a week. You tend to have three months where it's probably five days a week. And then you have another three months where it's maybe two days a week. And those two days a week periods were in the summer. And um, I was actually either in duotone times, I was based in San Diego or actually down in Lake Gardens during the summer. And I've always been doing photography um, all my life. So I did a lot of surf photography as well. And actually on a trip, um, in, I was covering the World Cup for the windsurfing World Cup in um, Fuerta. Sotamento. Yeah, yeah, for Surf Magazine. And um, then we went up north to do a travel story with a couple of old windsurfers, uh, Mickey Schweiger, who you might know, and uh, yep. Umpel Alex. And uh, we were doing a story up there about surfing. And then I was actually I was in, in water photography, and it was always a problem because you could never find really good um, waterproof sunscreen so you're always getting burnt you know because back in the analog days you stayed in the water for probably an hour because you wanted to make sure your 36 shots were perfect because you couldn't just click and rolling and anyway so um, I just noticed some oil in the water and I was like you know, I didn't know those, you know, some some oil tankers probably cleaned his tanks out or what's going on here or an outboard motor. And then as I was waiting for the boys to come back out again, again, I was just watching it. And then I suddenly realized it was actually coming off my face because I was in a wetsuit and it was going, it was going away from me, just the way the sun hit it and everything. And I was like, wow, this isn't good. <laughs> so, wow. It, it, and I just thought to myself whilst they were going in and out, I was like, how many people go in the water wearing sunscreening in in Nice or Bondi Beach or all these places, Rio, all these places in the world? This is crazy. How much sunscreen actually goes into the ocean and, and where does it go and what does it do? And so then I did a bit of research and I came back and uh, I was living in the winters in Austria and I had a look at the sunscreen market there as well. And there was only the old brand of Pittsburgh then when it belonged to the family as opposed to now it's a big Johnson Johnson. Mm-hmm thing um and so anyway i decided maybe there's a position for making a very high spf good protection and totally waterproof sunscreen um so if it was waterproof then it wouldn't leave anything in the water that was my theory in those days and i did some research and after two years later i had a formula which is um started in 2002 with the trademark 2004 we had a formula f- finished and then started in 2005 trying to sell it and yeah, that was the start of Himea with an SPF 60 waterproof sunscreen. Yeah, I think that, that it's so important as well. I did a lot of seasons in Australia and, you know, especially down there where they have that on the West Coast, kind of that the hole in the ozone is, is very significant. One of the things I always noticed was you can never get a sunscreen that lasts as long as you want it to do in the water or especially you know if you put it in the wrong places it gets in your eyes it's so important in the you know kind of the sports side of athletes or, or just enthusiasts or you know your average Joe, a weekend warrior to be able to have something that you put on you forget about it that it works but then of course if you can put your little grain of sand and it can be eco-friendly and i know you know you guys try and as much as possible for it to be you know co2 neutral you have that kind of uh, circle system where it's all the all the products it's all refillable i think it's a really good avenue to pursue yeah i mean as i said one of my the whole reason i want to i mean okay obviously i grew up in africa and sunscreen was something we weren't made aware of till i was probably in my teens and started i actually started teaching windsurfing in my teens and had some windsurf schools back in the day and um that was when i sort of started realizing maybe i should do something about my my skin um seeing mm-hmm. how it had affected my parents of which my father is currently with skin cancer and had a few operations and doing his immunotherapy because they um 
they didn't know anything back in those days. So anyway, absolutely. That, so that's why I use it on a, on a on a long term basis. But my main point was actually, what what are we doing as tourists and people, and how are we damaging the ocean with our sunscreen? It's completely changed now. Now everybody's interested in this and become aware of it. Um, I was just aware of it a bit before, and having seen also how things have changed. The climate's changed. I mean, I've lived in Austria on and off for 25, 30 years now. I've seen how the glaciers have moved back. And I've also been to coastal areas, which have dramatically changed as well. It's um, scary. So all I wanted to do is make a product which didn't affect the ocean. And then also as things went on and it was possible to calculate the damage the company might be doing or the product might be doing, to then start offsetting all these things in creative ways, which then stop any of the, the the issues which are going on um so that was a question to do with with filters right from the start actually i mean mm -hmm. right back mm -hmm. in the early days we always had mineral filters but we had to add some chemical filters to it because it wasn't possible back in those days to do it only with mineral but all of our chemical filters from day one were actually coated which meant that when the filter is in the water, if it did get released by the formula, which was meant to stay on the skin, it was a coated filter. So it okay, had no okay. effect within the water. We changed completely to only physical filters years ago. In 2014 was when we launched our first totally natural range. 2017, we had the refillable packaging system. Which is, all. I think that's awesome. Yep. And next year, we're going to a, uh, we couldn't make a recycled plastic bottle. Plastic is, mm -hmm. is good if it's used correctly. I mean, one time's one time plastics are a waste of time and money and energy and everything. Um, but but plastics as a packaging system is actually quite good. They're, they're lighter than glass. Glass is heavier. So when you ship it, you've got more CO2 footprint. There's all these aspects which people just sometimes don't realize. Tubes are not good. Tubes say they can be recycled it's true they can be recycled but generally in the whole of the world 99 percent of tubes end up in landfill or being burnt it's okay. as simple as that because they're too expensive to recycle the process is too expensive and also the companies aren't interested the, the whole recycling industry is probably the biggest issue about recycling a lot of things can be recycled but they're not sorted and they're not recycled due to what it costs I mean, most people have probably seen these mountains of rubbish turning up in Malaysia and stuff like this. Yes. And they've got they've got supermarket bags from Casino in France and Sainsbury's in the UK. And people are thinking, well, how's that ending up there? That's because the rubbish companies just pack it all up and send it off because that's much cheaper to get rid of it that way. And it's actually even subsidized by most governments. So that's so sad. Yeah, um, that's another issue. But to to change that this year, as I say, what we're trying to do, we'll probably have it, have it out this summer, I hope, and that we have a 100% recycled plastic bottle, which was not allowed before, but mm -hmm. due to some of the regulations and how it is recycled, it is then a food grade plastic, which means we can then put natural content in and sell it. Okay. We can't use ocean recycled plastic. That's not allowed because it won't get a food grade quality on the plastic. So until the rules are changed, although it will, it hopefully will change as things goes go. So at least then we, we'll be changing to a 100% recycled plastic. At the moment, we use HDPE, which is recycled, is recyclable and is recycled everywhere in Europe. No problem at all. And our main thing is that we work on a refilling system. So 
you shouldn't throw it away anyway. You should keep it and keep on refilling it. So that that's what we're working on. And then the new one, what we're also adding this year with the retailers who want to work with us is that you will be able to take your packaging back to the shop. They will take it and give you, the concept will be that we'll give you a, a discount on your next bottle as well. So then we that will is take really the packaging cool. back ourselves and we will take it. We've now found factories in Europe where we can take our HTP bottles we give it to them, it's recycled and comes HDP new bottles out at the other end of the factory. So basically you put HDP in at one end, out the other end comes HDP as well. So And that's why they call it the circle system. <laughs> Absolutely the circular system. Yeah, which is the same we have with other effects as well, because also for every bottle we sell, we remove a bottle from the ocean. We do that down in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. We're running with a project down there. And the concept is there that we remove exactly the same weight of plastic we manufacture per year, yes. we remove from the ocean down there, which is basically bottles out of the ocean most of the places. Yes. We then sort it. What can be recycled is put into recycling. What can't be, we change it back into oil, diesel, by a process called pyrolysis. And this diesel okay. is then used in the collection process of getting the next load of plastic. So that's, that's also a secular system in itself. And then the other thing we do is for offsetting the CO2 gases, I mean, we offset CO2 gases because that is possibly one of the biggest effects on the reef. Although filters and sunscreens do have an effect, what is the reality? How much effect does it actually have? Okay, the impact. Yeah, the, the temperature and the CO2 um, levels are probably a much larger effect on the reefs because I don't, most people don't know that the ocean actually absorbs this larger absorber of CO2 and mm-hmm. it can be very regional as well because obviously where it's more wavy as such and it, it absorbs more it captures more and takes it in and the CO2 effect changes the pH balance and that and will also bleaching, affect the yeah. bleaching of the of the reefs this is particularly susceptible in northwest America and okay. in Australia the CO2 absorption in the ocean. Then you have the temperature aspect. And when the temperatures change in the ocean, that can also bleach very quickly, the reefs. And a good example of that was in 2016 on the northwest coast of, of America, uh, of Australia, sorry, um, on the Great Barrier Reef, there was an area which in, had a temperature increase of around one degree for close to a month. Whoa, that is a lot. Yeah. And it bleached an area the size of the UK on the Great Barrier Reef. The size of the UK. Wow. 2016 that happened. It's well documented. And actually, there's photos of it going on because they somebody went there and decided to do a time lapse of the whole thing. And it just happened to be exactly that time when the temperature went up. And you can see how the reef basically just goes completely white. <laughs> Which is, which is phenomenal, yeah. So that, that's why we, we say we're ocean friendly because we do all of these things to do with the ocean. We, yeah. Of course, we don't use filters, which have an effect on the reef. We've, we've been doing that for 20 years now. Of course. <laughs> um, but these other things we've changed as well within the company over the years and, and brought them in. And we offset our CO2 gases by planting mangrove trees in Kenya because that's where I grew up. My cousins actually still have contacts with the people who organize this program. It's with a village. The local villagers are employed to do it. They take Brilliant. a percentage off of the money. That money has now paid towards a brand new school in the village and fresh water to the village. It employs awesome. two people full time. They plant the mangrove trees. The mangrove trees 
have multi-effects because first of all they save was it four times and one mango tree saves four times the amount of oxygen of a tropical tree mm-hmm. and the things they store it in the roots so if you chop off the tree and burn it you're not releasing the co2 again okay it's that's then, interesting it's then controlled where it's planted where it grows and where the fishermen are allowed to chop areas so it's making mangrove tree use in the area sustainable for them yes the effect of the roots of the mangrove trees is where the baby fish grow up and the mangrove trees work as a natural protection against their natural predators yes when you remove the mango trees the tree the the fish population becomes endangered so we're also protecting biodiversity we're also making fishing sustainable for the fishing village and these particular fish or a lot of the fish which are growing up in the mango trees become critical to the ecosystem on the reef in Mombasa as well. So they're having multi-aspects of positive things just by thinking about how we set off our CO2. I'm not... I'm not a sort of, oh, Google offsets CO2. Oh, yeah, here's a company. Get my credit card out and pay it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Make sure <laughs> that, that we do something positive. We're, we're publicized that we do any of our eco stuff till basically this year because okay. um, everybody started saying, uh, we, we went on Instagram for the first time this year. I'm not particularly in that market and that's what mm-hmm. we're doing now and everybody said yeah but uh, you've got to have a story and i was like what do you mean a story and then i spoke with people and they said what you've been doing this for years oh my you've got to tell everybody <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it's better to do it than talk about it i think it's the right way around well, our packaging on another level i believe you know social things are very important as well because there's so much injustice in in the world of of, of money and social aspects but so uh, we with the schooling and, and the help in the village we like to do that because it's a social help as well and then mm-hmm. also in innsbruck i do all my packaging and all the packaging so the bottle is put in the box and the box is put together and then it's all you know the packaging part of it we do that here in innsbruck with a, a place called artists which is for people who have social integration problems okay. so the idea is they work there they learn how to accept responsibility to be delegated tasks without questioning it you know and just getting on and working Understood. and so that they become an income then they're taught how to budget with their money and this has to go to rent this is for insurance this is how much you can spend on food and a lot of the people there are it's a lot of yeah, ex-prison and ex-drug people there. Yes. And it really helps them come back into society, make new friendships and, and stand That's back great. on their own two feet again. And I've actually been using that place since the duotone days. We still okay. do all our duotone uh, brochures down there as well. We never publicized it, but it's just something I've always been doing. So. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think it, I think it's really important as a company, you know, you know, as a human being as well, to kind of give back what you take. And it sounds like you guys are definitely from the beginning have had that mindset to be able to have the smallest impact as possible to the planet, but the biggest impact to human beings to be able to protect them. Because correct me if I'm right, um, you the name Hermia has a protector background in it. Yes, Himea. I chose the word Himea one. It's very difficult to find a word which is not registered in the world anymore. And it, <laughs> so, so I look to my past and other languages because that's often the best way to go. And Himea in 
comes it's an arabic word it means protection in arabic but okay. it's actually used in swahili as well but it's in swahili it's changed its meaning as in they've borrowed the swahili language has borrowed a lot of arabic words and as with dialects and and culture words get changed in their meaning a little mm-hmm. and so in swahili it means the the protector or now in modern swahili they often use it for let's say the emperor or the king a person who protects you mm-hmm. so um uh, I thought it was a good word to use. I thought it was easy on the tongue. People, everybody in the world knows Himalaya, but they don't know. You just take the L out and you can say Himaya. And it sounds similar whether you say it in Japanese, German, yes. English, or um, or Swahili or Arabic. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a multicultural linguistic uh, a positive vibe, I must say. <laughs> and, 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 and as regards to protection, I mean, my, my concept was, or mm. it still is, um, I grew up with sports all my life. I've been doing sports since a kid. I'm an instructor for from from alpine climbing, high uh, glacier tours to to windsurfing and disabled awesome. water skiing. Actually, I've been <laughs> teaching disabled okay. water skiing since 30 years as well. Um, so. When you're out in the sun doing sport, you just want to concentrate on your sport. You don't want to have a hassle with sunscreen dribbling off or getting in your eyes or anything else like this. And and you can't 100%. avoid the sun as well. 100%. Yeah. And when you can't avoid the sun, then you just want something you can put on. It protects you. You can get out there, enjoy your sport and not have to worry about, am I going to end up with skin cancer in 30 years or something yeah. like that? Yeah. And yeah, that yeah. was my concept. And then at the same time, protect the ocean. So that was it. That's how Himaya got started. So, Stuart, can you tell me why is it so important to protect yourself? Because I I think there you kind of wrapped it up perfectly, which is, you know, what we want to do is we want to have more time out, you know, out on the water, out on the slopes, out on the trails. In the end, you know, that's the goal. Everybody who enjoys um, sports, they want to have the maximum time, but with the maximum protection. And, you know, how important is it to protect yourselves out there? Because I do think like I did a lot of seasons in Australia. And like you say, back in the day, there wasn't as much information out there on you know the consequences that you can have of everybody's been completely burnt and going ah but you know she'll be right she'll be right but if you continue doing that it can really become a problem how do you kind of get that message out there to your clients to get the message out there is is difficult actually um Mm -hmm. you know ideally you want to transport everything and a nice little display beside the (laughs) cashier's desk in in a windsurf or a kite shop or whatever um doesn't quite work but i mean i I think people are are educating themselves slowly i mean the the problem is the skin cancer it's growing as the world has come smaller with travel and then as you say um australia which is basically filled of a lot of european skin now in the wrong location if you're if you're a person (laughs) who lives where your genetic skin type comes from you basically have a sort of natural protection and when you t- when you get a suntan although a suntan is skin damage it's um it's enough to to work as an spf3 to spf4 and a person who lives in the area where the skin gene pool comes from okay. with an spf4 can go out in the sun for approximately 1 hour and they should be fine that's interesting but- when you go past that stage, remember that a suntan is actually skin damage. So, you, but very little. The big burns are the problem. So anyway, so what I'm saying is, when and you have a big cases of more skin cancer in Australia and then also Brazil as well, because yes. what happened was that the Spanish moved further south. 
Yes. They've got more sun there. And then now the gene pools in Brazil are, are very mixed now. They're very mixed European. There's hardly any 100% Brazilians left. So the, the, the cases of skin cancer there are growing dramatically. And also in Australia, because you've got the wrong skin for that area. So the other way to to look at it is um, because all, a lot of locals I've met say, oh, I don't need it. I've never used sunscreen in my life. And let's just, I believe you're in Tarifa. So let's do an example down there. So there's a person who, Spanish person living in Tarifa all their life, their family's from there. They're from the correct gene pool for Tarifa. Mm -hmm. So they could go out in the sun for an hour when they're on land, normal land. Just things like sand start reflecting it. Water reflects it amazingly as well. And actually, you'll find out that the droplets of water on the skin is also acting like a bit of a magnifying glass as well. You might have noticed that. Uh, <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> so therefore, this this one hour period is very quickly reduced down to about 20 minutes. So and everything over that is then becoming skin damage. You can calculate that on our website. We've actually worked with another company. We've made a special calculator on the website, and you can go there and you put in where you are. You put in the UV index. You put in what how, what sport you're going to do, and it calculates all of this out, and it will tell you what SPF you should be using. Um, that's the first ever calculator in the world we did that. So we try and be innovative in other ways as well. <laughs> um, so the, when you – damage your skin, you're damaging the DNA in your skin and the basic cells. Cells can repair themselves. Yes. And they will decide, can I repair myself or not? And if it can't repair, it will die off. It will kill itself. As cells get hit, hit more and more and more, they and, and you get older, they can't quite make that decision or they make a wrong decision. They say, oh, I can repair this one. I'll keep it alive. And it starts repairing and then multiplying and you've got a defect in it. And that is basically the start of cancers. That's how they start. So as you, as when you're young, you get sunburn. Ah, it's not a problem. I've got sunburn. It's going to be okay in two days. Yeah, That's should, fine. should be right. Should be right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. I mean, not scientifically said, but just basically say, after I've been sunburned 100 times, I'm going to have a defect. And therefore, I'm going to end up with skin cancer as possible. So the more you can protect yourself, the better. But also, it's very critical later on in life to, to get checks at the dermatologist, to go there mm -hmm. every year, find a dermatologist that has a thing called a confocal machine, because that can take photos very close to the skin. And then you can go back next year and they can plant everything's in a database and they can put one mole against another mole from the year before and see if it's grown or changed or anything because obviously if you're seeing you know 1,000 clients over the the year you can't remember every mole of course, of course. so at least find yourself a proper dermatologist who, who knows how to to look for this stuff and if you stay aware of it then basically squamous and basal cell can carcinogenic carcinomas will probably happen if you're very very often in the sun Mm -hmm. And you can take care of them very easily, often with topical cream when they're gone. It's not a problem. Yes. Um, menalonin is a, is a bigger problem. It's also um, new research is beginning to say that it's actually could be a general cancer anyway, although it seems to be very stimulated by UV light. Um, there is definitely a correlation between how often you're severely burned and your chances of getting a menalonin cancer, but okay. does it turn up in the place where you were burnt? Very often not. It can come between your toes. It can come in your armpit. And is that maybe because of the lymphodes or something, the, the, way, the way that it affects 
They don't know. I mean, I have okay. some, I work, I have a lot of, you know, we work with sports people, obviously, um, for helping to promote the company. But also, I have a pool of ambassadors, and they're all minimum doctor to professor level. And before okay. we do anything on our website or claim any facts, we certify them with the people, the experts in yes. that particular area, of which... Um, yeah, I have one here in Innsbruck, and um, he said it's. It, it, they don't know now. The tendency does seem to be this way, but they they mm-hmm. don't know quite. You know, I mean, our research in can in cancers is is incredible. You know, in the last twenty years, yes, it's nominal. Changed a lot, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, so basically, the long term effects of UV is what will get you later on in your life. If you use sunscreen on a regular basis and get rid of those high periods of sun on your skin. Yes, you're going to be protecting yourself massively over, you know, if you're if you do sports, what do you, you're doing it for 30 or 40 years of your life. You're doing it two or three times a week if you're a real sports person. Yes, uh, um, you should just take care of yourself. It just makes sense. But as I say, definitely from the age of even when you're younger, you should do it. Go see a dermatologist every five years or something. But as you get older, maybe on a, a yearly basis or something like that, say from the ages of 50 plus, it wouldn't be a bad thing to go on a yearly basis. And I think, you know, that also works in general, you know, health-wise, you know, kind of left, right and centre. You have to, you know, these days get a checkup. In the end, you know, it is better to have the information than not to have it. So you can kind of, um, you know, take the the means that you have to, depending on what comes out. And I think, you know, regular checkups, especially, you know, coming from the kite surfing world or surfing world, we are exposed to the sun so much that it's better safe than sorry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Couldn't have put it better. <laughs> so, Stuart, tell me a little bit about the ingredients and the, in terms, you know, kind of what is special about Himea in the ingredients and how um, performance wise, what makes it stand out? OK, um, we're using natural ingredients, but we've been quite selective with our natural ingredients. The, ma- the main ones are, are oils and staying away from a lot of companies are going natural, then they use things like palm oil. But obviously, you know, you can get certified palm oil, but is it truly certified as sustainable yes. or not? Because often the palm oil is grown where there was a forest. It's replanted with palm, but it just to start the palm plantation, it wasn't sustainable in the first. It's the same with the biotubes. Often the biotubes, again, they're tubes, so they're never mm-hmm. actually recycled, although they can be. They are made from maize and they are mainly planted because it comes from ethanol and um, they're planted in old areas where the Amazon has been chopped down in the past. So, yeah. So anyway, so we, we stay away from anything like that. We're very selective. And over years and years of research, the most important thing about physical filters and filters is actually how they stay on the skin. That's very important because if they're not, a uh, skin is like a, it's like a mountain range. You've got peaks and troughs all over. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. When you go down to a micro basis. And when you rub a, a, a sunscreen on, mm-hmm. a lot of it will just go into the valleys, let's say, and won't be on the peaks because you've rubbed it off. Okay. But if you can get the right liquid, and I'm sure you've seen it yourself, every liquid has a, a surface tension to it, like a skin. Yes. This yeah. is a bit Absolutely. sort of thing. But just to put it in a very basic format, um, it, it has a skin on it, like water does. You might have seen it. When you fill up a glass, you can actually fill it over the to- over the rim, and there seems to be this little 
bubble area yeah. which is holding it on yeah that, that's what we're talking we're talking that sort of thing um and when you put something on a surface you'll also see that it will displace itself out and end up with a uniform thickness Very even true. though sometimes it's actually going over something so it's not completely flat you could have a little lump there and it will stay that uniform thickness as well that's all to do with its surface tension on the top okay so what we did a lot of this last formula took almost three years and over a hundred samples to do. And what, what we want to do is to make sure we have an, a, an oil which delivers it and holds it on all over the skin equally. Because then you don't have block sheet sunscreen. And that's also important because you don't want pure sun in one part and protection in another. It doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense, yeah. yeah. So the distribution of the sunscreen is very, very critical in a, in, a, in a physical sunscreen and also with chemical to a certain extent, but the chemicals can, because they go a little bit under the surface of the skin, um, they can stay on the peaks a little bit better in that respect. So there's, that was the biggest thing for me. My, mm -hmm. my main point of making Himalaya is to protect your skin. The second, hopefully without any compromise, is to do it without having any effect on the environment or society. But the first thing is we want to protect the skin. When people use cheap sunscreens, let's call them cheap or easily formulated sunscreens, yes. um, you'll get very blotchy areas. You find actually natural sunscreen will often feel like toothpaste. It does. Um, very yeah. true. Yeah. So it doesn't really rub in very well. It stays greasy and everything like that. That's because it's what we call an ointment. It doesn't have a water phase in it. And the water helps to distribute and and then wow. it will evaporate, leaving a, a, the, our correct film, which is a mixture of sunscreen, olive oil. We also have alpine flowers in there and seaweeds and things like this, which will change mm -hmm. the consistency of the oil nicely. And also the, the effect of the alpine flowers and the seaweeds is to help keep the moisture in the skin as well. So when you've had a, you might notice it sometimes if you don't have a sunscreen on, you go in the salt water, you come out, you have that sort of dried out. Oh, yes. Tired oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, if, it, especially if it's using hot. Our sunscreen, yeah, because it's protecting you against the elements as well. So okay. And also what you won't get is any whitening with our sunscreen. And people, again, that's a, another myth. Uh, if my face is white, then I'm not getting any sun. It's not actually true. The whitening is the reflective of visible light. Mm -hmm. And visible light does not have the same wavelength as UVA and B. So yes. actually, yeah, you can reflect visible light and still let through UV light. So don't. It's, a, it's an illusion when people say, oh, because I'm white and there's no UV light coming through. You don't know that. And again, there's research there which is indicating that actually the more whiter you are, it encroaches on the UVB light, which comes through at the other end of the spectrum. So it, okay. it, it's the, the, whitening, the whitening thing which is going on, it comes in fashion. It was, yes. When was it? In the 80s, the first time a company in California called Zinca um, came with it, and then it came in, then it went out, and it seems to be backing at the moment. It does. Um, it's also there's some very interesting research going on, and we we are helping fund a research in in, in Italy with two PhD students doing it um, about the effects of mixing zinc with chemical sunscreens. The studies so far are indicating there's one in America finished and it's uh, getting peer reviewed right now. So it's 
as I say, if it's not close, yeah, it's close. If it's not completely peer reviewed, don't listen to everything which is not peer reviewed, <laughs> um, yeah. and don't don't take a study which is sponsored by certain companies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that has. Let's say it's got its green card. <laughs> so there, there would be an indication. All I'd say is be careful using that when you're using a chemical sunscreen underneath. There's a lot of people now put a normal sunscreen on and then put the zinc on on their nose and on their below their eyes and think, oh, yes. this is perfect protection. There's indications that actually the zinc will react to the chemicals and lower the SPF value within a two-hour period, and wow. also become toxic. So why we don't particularly make a stick or we're not, we don't want to promote one as well is that with beginners, a lot of instructors do this. They put it on there like this and then people think, oh, that's protection. OK, so they just whack it there and they think um, that's what the instructor does. I'm good. And they might not even put a sunscreen on apart yeah. from that. Yeah, yeah, and if yeah, you look yeah, at the yeah. statistics of where surfers get cancer, you know, it's on things like the ears, the back of the neck are way more than on, they're exposed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I think in, in the end, the end message is you have to be protected out there to the elements. And like, you know, kind of like you guys are saying, it's it's better to have the information, take the time out, especially, you know, for in, in the surfing industry, like you're saying, is that we are out there for such a long time. And, you know, brutally honest, if the wind is good and the waves are good, you forget about the rest. And then when you get in and you, you're burnt or you're crisp, you're like, ah, oh, I should have put more on. And then I think, you know, the, the end goal, you know, me as a consumer of the sunscreen is to find a product that will allow me to stay out there longer, be protected for longer and to, you know, to be able to have as many years in the water as physically possible. But then if we can, you know, make a, a smaller impact on the planet so that future generations can still enjoy it. I mean, I think that's the uh, 100% what we have yeah. to be doing it's a win-win isn't it it is a win-win absolutely so um one of the the final questions i have for you Stuart, is we are just bringing on back in in duotone the young blood camps so what that means is we grab groms we grab the youngsters we put take them together and we take them to places like egypt i mean egypt the sun is strong it is insane how you know how it really does burn and you know we have the have the groms out there on the waters for hours on ends teaching them both mentally physically moves we have uh, personal trainers with them psychologists we have have some of our, our professional athletes, guys like Aaron Hadlow or Tom Court or Reno and all, all of the team together to try and educate them and um, create an ambassador on and off the water. How important is it to get this message to the youngsters? I think it's critically important. I, th I, I mean, brilliant. These camps are absolutely excellent. It's what ch it's what's changed sports over the years, um, how, how young people can get knowledge from more experienced people and and giving them the opportunity is, is just absolutely brilliant but then also it, it's right it's important to teach them all the other aspects of mm. being a kiteboarder most of your life um so if the older ones can explain to the kids in a way which they'll understand and hopefully it will stay in their mind yeah then then they will use it this has happened a lot in california i have to say Okay. A lot of young kids in California, if you ask them when you go surfing, do you use sunscreen? That's a 12 year old kid, and they're just like, duh, of course I do. You know, now how stupid are you? Nobody goes without sunscreen. But if you speak with a surfer in Holland or England, they'll be like, nah, I don't need it. You know, so it's, it's just an education thing. Um, mm. 
it, that's also just to do with sunscreen awareness and later on in life, how it will affect you. Um, I mean, you've got to remember kids are kids, you know, and you tell them to brush their teeth or else they'll lose their teeth. And they're like, ah, what are you talking about? I'm not going to lose my teeth. But they only realize it when they're 70 later. And it's a bit <laughs> of the same. It's the same with the sunscreen. You've got to. But if the if their hero, their influencer is telling yes. them, look, this is a. This is something you really need to do just on a regular basis. Just keep on the sunscreen and don't make sure you don't get those hard burns, you know, mm-hmm. and you don't have to use a massive amount um, depending on how long you're on the water. If you're on the water the whole day, yeah, then you definitely need a 50 plus and you probably have to reapply it for the point that it can rub off. And if you of course, rub your hand across your face or you towel off when you come out to get your lunch, you will remove some sunscreen. So you should also just reapply it. Um but if you're only going to spend an hour on the water, you can use a 30. It's enough. The SPF is to do with how long you can stay in the sun. A lot of people don't actually realize that. The SPF is valued on what we call the MED, the minimum erythema dose of your skin. Okay. And that will depend on where your skin comes from and your genetic type. And an average European, let's say, is a three, what we call a grade three. Mm-hmm. And if they're in the sun, they they will burn depending on the UV index. But for example, the the hardest form of sun you can get actually is on a glacier because you're high up as well and the snow reflects even more than the water. And an average European on the glacier in the summer will start to have skin damage after four minutes. Wow. Okay. At 3,000 meters. So that's why we do a lot of our tests up there. And then also with, with, with uh, mountain runners, you know, because they're sweating and, and the mountain guides, you know, because you're, you're sweating really hard and sweat is very similar to being in water as well. And um, has similar properties for the cream. So that's why uh, we even have um, some of the workers on Stubai in the summer, for example, they're using it and they're on the glacier the whole day, every day in the summer, you know? So, um, so it's it's very the, the the time is the most important thing. So if you want to elongate your time, you need to use an SPF. So an SPF ten means you can go ten times your normal MED. So that means let's just take the example which we took was four minutes. That means you can go for forty minutes. minutes. So when you're using a thirty, that's okay. And then a 50 is even longer. Or we do plus, which is basically double that period of time before you'd have to reapply. Yeah. There are some, this is the SPF system, which is designed by the World Health Organization, and that's yeah. how it works on that basis. And it's and it's um, tested on that basis as well. You know, you're, we do clinical studies and people go in and then you put the UV light on the back and the intensity of the UV light is varied and it's time to see when the person starts to minimize dose. So it's not tested on animals, it's actually tested on humans. Which are animals. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, and, and, and that's how it's calculated. But then you have a lot of, um, let's say, I don't know how to say this without sounding detrimental, but th- there's a lot of people who say that I'll put it that way. There's a lot of people who say, oh, there's no difference between an SPF 50 and an SPF 30 except 1%. So, yes, an SPF 30 blocks 97% of UVB light, and SPF 50 blocks 98%. And they say, oh, it's only 1% more. When in effect, it's not. It's You have 50% less protection with a 30 than you do with a 50 because it's 2% and 3%. 
Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do <laughs> and the they, And people often explain it the other way around, which is actually the wrong way around. I mean, that's an interesting part of mathematics and statistics um, that, you know, statistics are a very interesting thing. Um, and you can make a lot of things seem true depending on which numbers you want to take. <laughs> As my granddad would say, make sure to look after the little things and then the big things will come. So, yeah, and, uh, abs- <laughs> absolutely. Well, it's, that's really interesting because I always, you know, I've been in the sun my whole life and I always thought that the number on the sunscreen was pretty much the amount of minutes you could go with protection. So at 50, I was like, okay, I've got about an hour and then i got to come out. You know, re- I've actually reapplying. I was pretty good at that because like you say, we're in the water, you're rubbing yourself, you towel off. But yeah, that's really interesting. I had no idea that, you know, European base, we've got probably about a, a, a four. So that means I've got about 200 minutes in the water. So no, you, you learn something new every day yeah okay and that's also here's the other part we have to say is the spf test is not reality because the reality is when people put on the product they don't put enough on so the spf test is based on um two milligrams of uh cream to a centimeter square on the skin now reality of that is if you were to put a film of sunscreen on your hand let's say and it was about as thick as a business card that is approximately the amount for the two milligrams per centimeter square. So way more than reality. Yes. Of what course. it does do, it gives you a measurement um, of time, but in perspective. What I say to people, if you want to have the correct SPF value of your sunscreen, you should put a thin coat on in the morning. Get up, you know, you know you're going kiting today. Okay, get up in the morning. Put your sunscreen on your face, go have your breakfast, come back, put another one on, and then okay. you're probably getting closer to the amount you actually need for, for the rest of the day. And then, yeah, you obviously need to re- reapply a few just because, as I say, the, you'll, you'll rub it off as such. Um, yes. But that's how you should do it. It's, um, think about sunscreen. You've got, a, you've got a bright orange wall and you want to paint it white. You don't paint it white wing one coat, one thick. That is a really good example. Yeah. You then put two thin coats on or maybe three thin coats. You've ended up the same amount of sunscreen or the same amount of paint, but you've distributed it better and more evenly. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a really good example. And I've been painting my house recently. And trust me, you've got to put the coats on. Oh, well, no, don't, yeah. don't use the sunscreen because it doesn't stay white afterwards so <laughs> yeah <laughs> i won't i won't I, I leave the sunscreen for the skin well Stuart, thank you very much for joining us here on inside the world of do a turn that was really interesting to see all the ins and outs of you know how we have to protect ourselves out there on the water cool then enjoy your kiting and stay safe we said himaya leave the ocean as you found it <laughs> That is that is the way to do it. Leave the ocean as you found it. And that was Stuart Knowles from Inside the World of Duotone.